and growing up I think I was aware of being different and what that difference might afford me so you know conversations about uh, the, the the police and how you may be treated differently but also conversations about uh, the job opportunities that may uh, fall your way because or not because of how you looked or sounded because I think the difference isn't just in how you look I think it's in in how people perceive you in terms of your class Welcome to the Emotional Coach Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori. And this week, my guest is Robert Stevenson. Robert is a center director for the Animus Center for Coaching. And in this conversation, we discuss everything from diversity, inclusion, theater, and a lot more. Please subscribe, share, and review. It's the only way podcasts like this have a chance to survive. For more information and more episodes, please visit andreasplendori.com. The title tune is Paralyzed by Nevada. Thanks, thanks a million for uh, uh, coming on the podcast. Uh, really looking forward to this. I, I had a bit, I had a bit of, did a bit of research. Uh, not a huge amount because I don't like to be too prepared. Because I really like the idea of uh, the conversation taking us wherever it needs yeah. to take us, and uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's yeah. me. Yeah, I really, I, I really like that, that too. I sometimes find if it's too too scripted or too too crafted that we can lose a sense of flow and 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 and, and aliveness, I guess. Yeah, and what I like about it is. Um, I like the fact that you know every day is different. So whatever is coming out today might not be the same tomorrow. Or last week, so it's. Uh, and I know you you have a lot to say about a lot of things, and that's where we're going to get to. <laughs> <laughs> and I let you talk as long as you like. Uh, and if you go for too long, I just turn off the microphone and we stop. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so Robert Stevenson, thanks a million for uh, joining me on the Emotional Coach Podcast. Um, I tell you what, we just start, uh, if you don't mind asking you a little bit about you, just because I always like to know who I'm talking to. Um, give me a bit of background, where you're from, where, where you are now, anything at all. Yeah, so uh, uh, kind of a bit of background, London-born, Um Interest, interestingly educated, I'd say. So school wasn't necessarily a space of learning for me. It was more a space of hanging out. Uh, so my kind of learning began after I left school uh, and I trained as an actor as part of that. So sort of theatre uh, is very close to my heart. And I think that that sort of, sort of frames part of my coaching practice as well and my sort of my thinking about about things um i joined animus gosh maybe 12 years ago now uh, i started as a freelance trainer with them um and kind of moved through the the, the ranks i suppose moved through the the organization in a way that was never planned or um thought about it was a very organic shifting through the organization and and even the route into coaching wasn't a planned route. 
I didn't decide to become a coach. It was more, I worked with a lady called Matilda Gilbert uh, on a, a program that was run by an organization called Creative Partnerships. And we were working in schools to look at how you create or develop creative educational projects or creative learning in the, in the classroom. And uh, I'd also attend Matilda's workshops because she, she ran workshops for, for, for educational leaders and stuff. And I was always blown away by how she held a group and um, would, ha- would have conversations with her about, you know, what is it that you do that enables you? Or what have you learned that enables you to work with groups in that way? And there were various things that she had studied and learned. And one of those things was coaching. And that really stood out for me. And so I studied coaching originally just to inform my practice as a facilitator and a workshop leader, not necessarily to become a coach. But, and by doing that, I became a better workshop leader and would have better interventions with the young people that I was working with, which would then call for the schools to bring me back just to do that piece, not to do the drama workshop piece, but to do the you know, how do I enable that person to stay in the classroom piece or to move forward piece? And that also uh, kind of looped into how I was working with teachers. Because uh, I was also working with teachers about how, you know, how could they be more creative in the classroom? How could they bring drama or theatre into the classroom, storytelling into the space? And then I would coach them on how they do that and what's going on for them within their they the sort of working lives and it kind of spiraled from there really. And I started doing more and more coaching in that space. Um, and then when I met Nick Bolton, the, the founder and CEO of Animus, we actually came together to create a youth coaching uh, program that we developed. And that's how I kind of joined the company. And then I did group coaching with the company. And then I started training on their transformational diploma uh, and then I became the head of training and then became the centre director. So it's been a really interesting kind of growth. It was never a, this is what I'm going to do. I remember my son, when he was about eight or nine, sort of saying, um, you know, when did you know what you wanted to do when you grew up? And I was like, I still don't know what I want to do. I'm just doing what I love and what I enjoy and, and what brings brings me uh, a, a sense of fulfillment, I guess. That's really in the, interesting because I wanted to bring you back one second to school because uh, what well, you say you had an interesting um, school experience, but by the sound of things, that's what informs, like, that's what makes you a good facilitator for school kids. And because what you learn in school, uh, is it what they were trying to make you learn as opposed to what you wanted to learn? <laughs> I guess for, for me, I, you know, for a long time, I thought school was just a space to hang out with your friends and, and to play and to be creative and to have fun. When it came to the academic side, I had no clue what we were supposed to be doing uh, uh, in that space. And so um, a lot of the schools I went to, we had a kind of a tiered system, you know, the, 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 the bright kids were in A and B and then the less bright moved down. I was in the move down spaces, but in those move down spaces, the teachers had to be creative to try and to educate you. So I was doing lots of creative things and I had a real love for drama. So when I went to college, that's 
where I, I went to. And I think that what enables me to work well with young people uh, back then when I, when I did a lot of that work was this recognition that um, learning has to be fun and purposeful and young people need to know the reasons why they're learning the thing and be able to apply it. Because if we don't have that understanding of its application, we don't understand why we're learning it. So when we're learning history, we don't, if we're not exploring it in a way of what can history teach us about our now and how can history inform us about the choices we make moving forward, if we're just learning it as a set of dates when something happened, then how is that engaging? How is that going to excite the racing minds or the creative minds. So I think that's what I brought into that work. And I also know that when I was doing a lot of the sort of drama projects that I did, I always wanted to be the teacher that I never had or the teachers that I had very uh, rarely, those ones that would find ways of making the learning interesting as opposed to just rote learning. Yeah, absolutely. You and I look very similar. We have the same haircut. We have the same beard. Um, not quite the same glasses, but, but we don't really look that similar in the eyes of other people. Okay, you know, this, is, this is mainly audio. And this is an area that really interests me and I know interests you mm. in a huge way, the, the visibility of the cultural diversity. As far as I'm concerned, we're exactly the same. And as I say, I'm, I'm obviously joking about the haircut. We're both, we're, I'm sure we both had a much better hairdo a few years ago, but <laughs> <laughs> now it's nothing there. But it, it is something that really, really interests me. That, and I, it, until I read about you, uh, how... You obviously zoned into the, the 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 lack of visibility in our profession, in the coaching profession. And to be honest, mm. it never even occurred to me because that's not the way I look at the world. But tell me a bit more about it because it's uh, it, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot there to 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 hear from you. Just tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah, so I think so I've always been very interested in this idea of, of, of who's at the party and who feels that they are welcome and not welcome. And being a black male in East London, uh, there were moments where you kind of were really aware of, of difference and, and race and, and what that means. And also um, when I was in theatre and uh, I worked with my two best friends, uh, Steve and Isaac, um, we had a company called Unclassified Arts and we would tour places like Sweden and Denmark and we would be in the middle of nowhere in these European uh, countries where there weren't that many black people around. So we would be very aware of, of our difference. And growing up, I think I was aware of being different and what that difference might afford me so you know conversations about uh the, the the police and how you may be treated differently but also conversations about uh the job opportunities that may uh fall your way because or not because of how you looked or sounded because i think the difference isn't just in how you look i think it's in in how people perceive you in terms of your class uh, or, or your your gender or your sexuality or your ability so there's there's lots of differences at, 
play. And I, and I guess from my perspective as an actor, I remember thinking, you know, you're not even invited to those auditions or look at the parts that you are being offered and, and what's that about and look who's being rewarded. And of course, things have changed over time. But I guess this has meant that when I look into the spaces that I am, I'm also asking that question about, well, who's here and why, why they're here and why they're not here. Well, I remember when I started attending coaching events and asking myself the question of why is it me and a few other non-white uh, people here? What's, what's that about? And especially when being a trainer at Animus, recognizing that we taught a real varied um, section of, of humanity um, or the population. It's like Animus is a real mixture of people in that space and in that training room. But yet when I went to these events, I weren't, I wasn't seeing that mixture at these events. And so it kind of led me to, to ask that question of why aren't we, why aren't we here? And why is it the same faces here? And what's that about? Is that about, we don't feel welcome or invited, or is it, we don't see ourselves in these spaces which then led me to think about, well, why don't we feel welcome? Um, and even if we don't see ourselves in these spaces, why aren't we moving into these spaces anyway? What's, what's happening here? What's that about? And if coaching is a space that talks about inclusion and being non-judgmental and uh, exploring our own unconscious biases, then I go, what's happening that it's not happening in the coaching space. What's happening that if you look at the panel for um, workshops, you see a very, um, a very uh, non-mixed panel for want of a better language. Um, what's, what's that about? Uh, I remember looking at a coaching magazine a few years ago now that was celebrating it's, I don't know if it was its third year or its 10th year, I can't remember, but it was celebrating something and, and it had uh, on its celebratory uh, issue had all the covers of all the past issues and it was all white people. And I was like, that's really interesting that all of your covers is only um, focused on that. Um, um, and how did nobody look at that and go, oh, that's interesting. Where, where was the curiosity then? Or where was the curiosity there? So for me, it's, it's going, let's be curious and go, who's, who's invited? Who feels welcome? Um, what are the unconscious biases or the systemic uh, challenges that are at play that, that make this still part of an industry that speaks about being welcoming. So as an industry, you know, there is no sort of, um, there are no barriers. We, we talk about coaching being this open space where people can be what they want to be and be who they want to be and, and create change and move forward. And we use all of this language in, 
in our materials when we talk about coaching and, um, and, and, and all of that is true. But then I go, ah, so why is it these people feel they can move forward and these people are not part of that conversation? And I remember being part of a, um, a talk and somebody saying, uh, but at the uh, international or the, the, yeah, at the international conference, the, you know, the African delegates were black. And I was going, yeah, but I'm not talking about the African delegates. I'm talking about where I am in the UK. I'm talking about if I just zoom into London, this kind of this multicultural uh, hotbed of difference, I'm going here, where's that, where, where's the difference showing up here? Of course, when you go internationally, there's going to be difference and that's great and brilliant. But what about here and now? What, where's that? Okay. I know you guys did a, a, a podcast series called, or you're doing a coach, coaching on Uncaged. And, and I know you dedicated the first three episodes to a lot of this about discussing cultural diversity. And, and as you say, animals, I have a, a mix of, uh, of, uh, of coaches and uh, trainers and uh, facilitators, et cetera, which is fantastic from, I think in the website it says from uh, active minorities and so on, but it, what have you found out in, in 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 your research as such? Is what is it that um, stops people from acting minority getting into this this profession? If if is, is what is the barrier? Is is it because? And let me ask you actually another question, Robert. If if you know sometimes if you're working with within an organization of coaches and uh, you know there's a few of you available to coach within an organization. And there's a bit of a, you know, a catwalk, if you want, you know, I'm the, I'm the client, come along. Oh, I need three or four coaches. Did you see the bias? Do you, do you find bias in that way? Like you being one of the ethnic majorities versus perhaps me, the Caucasian uh, Italian living in Ireland? <laughs> I just got caught there with the Italian living in Ireland and, <laughs> and the interestingness around that. My own curiosity jumped in there. And, I think so. When I, I spoke to um, Jenny Garrett, who has her own uh, directory for 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 those of difference, so that when organisations are looking, that they can see other faces um, and 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 proactively explore that 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 avenue. And one of the things that she said to me was that. That often when she said that to organizations, hey, how comes it's only me and uh, one or two others that are showing up for these uh, uh, th- th- these positions? And sometimes your organizations would say, well, we don't know a lot of, of, of black coaches. We know lots of white coaches. Maybe that they wouldn't use that exact language, but mm-hmm. that was perhaps the, the, the meaning behind it. And she was saying, well, where are you looking? Because I know them. So she created a space for them to be able to see them. Now, I think part of what's happening in an organization is the organization is running on the systems that prevail in that organization. And if you have an organization that that is about finding difference and diversity and promoting that and working with that to enrich them as an organization, then they're going to be looking at 
having different people as coaches in that space. And they're going to have different people within that organization that will desire differences because it's not just about races. It's, there's a whole realm of differences that people are looking for. But if the organization isn't that, then they're not going to be looking for that. So if that's their blind spots, then it's going to continue to be their blind spot until it's challenged. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been luckily, lucky enough to be invited to work with organizations. So I don't do a lot of that work now, but in the past I was lucky enough to be invited to do that. And it was always because people knew me um, through other avenues or other connections and then say, hey, we're doing this. Would you like to come in and do this piece of work with us? Uh, so I, that was a fortunate piece for me, but I do think if I was trying to work in that space, it, it might be difficult for me to, to do that. I don't know if that's true now. I think people are much more aware of, you know, a diverse workforce um, creates a, a happier wealth workforce, creates a, a more productive and profitable business because we have those different opinions and views to enrich that environment. So people are aware of that. So they're making changes towards that in some quarters. But I do also think that some people aren't aware of that. And so therefore just doing what they do, how they've always done it and employing people from their circles. And if you're not in their circles, then they're not going to employ you. Cause I have to also recognize that, you know, when, um, when, when I used to, sort of run drama programs, you you kind of go, right, we need a so-and-so. Who do we know that does that? You need a dancer. Who do we know? You need a, a mime artist. Who do we know? We need a writer. Who do we know? And we pull from the circle that we knew. Now, luckily, that circle was a diverse circle. But if it wasn't, I'd still be pulling from the people that I know. So I'm not sort of going, don't pull from the people you know, or that it's bad or wrong to do that. It's going, but let's also look beyond that. And I think that for coaches coming into the industry, I I think part of it might be that you're looking at, is this a viable uh, career for me? Because if you're just looking at it from from a meaning and purpose perspective, I think what happens is that a lot of those that come into the industry that are driven by creating change go off and do that, but don't necessarily get seen in that bigger picture. Um, I remember talking to a lot of um, uh, mentors that were kind of mentor coaches, really, but mentoring held a space that was welcoming for them and where they saw themselves. So they went and worked in that space. I don't know if you have the answer to this, but it is, or even if, but I'm just going to ask you anyway. (laughs) <laughs> because I'm curious about, is there less uh, diverse? So from a client's perspective, do you see less uh, people fr- from a diverse background coming to coaching? And if so, what is the reason behind? Or is is it just, or is there an answer to that? Well, I think the answers vary because I, I, I think, that that not all cultures define coaching with the word coaching. Okay. So 
you have people working as coaches but not defining themselves as the coach okay um so that so there's there's that part of it so it, it, within cultural groups there is that person that's identified as as the the person that you go to to discuss and to talk and to explore and mm-hmm. and and to think and they're not always called the coach and they don't always work exactly as a coach so that there is there is that there is also various i guess cultural norms maybe they're stereotypes about asking for help and seeking help and what that means uh you know at the moment we're, we're looking a lot at mental health in the in the world i guess and a lot of the the adverts i see on the tv uh recently have been about men and mental health and men speaking up about their challenges or being asked about you know how how are you and really wanting to know how somebody is as opposed to just that surface and the reason they're having to push that with men is because men traditionally don't share that side of them now that's not all men but we can recognize there is a sector of the male population that don't talk about their feelings and they will just kind of battle on um where was i going with this i kind of lost my thread there um so, so I, I, I guess it, it, trying to answer that question is, is there less people coming in? I would say no, but they're not always recognised or identified or working within what we would define as coaching. They might be working in other spaces, um, but also that there are cultures who won't be leaning into coaching unless they've had an experience of it. Yeah. Because they'll be going, well, I don't need help. I'm not going to. I'm going to sort myself out without recognizing what coaching does and, and how it can work and how, how it can create that change and transformation. And, and it's not about help. It's about helping you to help yourself. It's about giving you that agency. It's about giving you that, the, the ability to take control and take power of your, over your own life as opposed to doing it for you. And I think a lot of people still see coaching as something that is done to you, not with you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'll, um, I'll move to coaching for a minute. I might go back to, to the diversity just before we finish, because it, it just fascinates mm-hmm. me. And, 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 uh, and to be honest, uh, as I say, I'm, I'm just a regular bloke, look like a regular bloke. I've, I'm blending in this pale world that we live in. So nothing, you know, I'm just there. And then, but I've been in one situation once in my life where I was part of a small minority in Amsterdam, part of a group of Sikhs, and we're all dressed in, you know, we all had the turban and stuff. It, it was just, it was the most, to this day, I, 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 it's hard to destru- describe how people were looking at us in a strange way, mm. in a curious, in a, threatening way it was just bizarre for me having experienced once in my 50 odd years and mm-hmm. so i do i only have a, a, a tiny amount of understanding of what sometimes being yeah. the, as you describe it i think you describe it looking around and being the only face slightly different face mm-hmm. in that room you know yeah. uh, I, I think we've all got moments I, I, I guess part of the challenge is we there were two challenges here is one that we all have moments of of recognizing that we are different Mm 
And in those moments, the challenge that extends from that is, are we welcomed by being different or are we challenged or excluded by that difference? And, that, and so that, that's one piece of, of, of work um, that sort of sits uh, with it. And the other thing is, have we grown so used to being different that we don't even notice it anymore? <clears throat> so I, I know that, you know, when I speak to, um, or, or when I used to do work with, with young boys and face to say, but whenever I go into a shop, I'm followed by the, the security in there. So I don't even think about it anymore. It's just part of life. And I go, that's, that should be challenge. We become so used to something that we don't even question whether that something is useful or not whether that's something is, I don't want to use the word fair because I'm not sure what fair even means, but it's like, is this okay? Is it okay that we've become used to being treated in that way? And and I guess that's part of my strive with this work is that you can look at a panel and go, oh, I'm used to seeing panels without other faces on it. And so you then don't do anything about it. You don't question it. You don't push it because you're used to it. And I'm going, well, let's not get used to that. Let's let's challenge that. Let's explore that. Let's look at why that is. And also let's get the best person in that magazine or on that stage or or wherever. So I'm not saying it you should have those people just because they are different. We should have them because they're good, but we don't know how good they are because we don't have them. So we, we catch ourselves in that. So for me, it's about you know exploring difference, welcoming that difference, working with it. So it becomes part of our accepted okayness that, that we work with and involve different people within that space. And we look to create an equity within that. Um, so people feel welcome and involved and are able to share their richness because there's so much richness when we bring in difference. Incredible, yeah. And it's like, so let's explore that. You know, when we talk about group coaching, we say, you know, one of the beauties about working with groups is the richness of the of, of the knowledge of the individuals being brought together into that held space. And it's like, well, let's do that with everything else. Yeah, and 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 I always thought that way. And since I've been doing coaching, I mean it's even more so because exactly what you're talking about is individuals, is brains, it's mm-hmm. it's what matters, you know, what's in our in within ourselves. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what we look like, it's what we can bring to the table, whether it's an organization yeah. Yeah. or or but that talking matters just actually I'm gonna stay that for a second because it, it, the Black Lives Matter um mm-hmm. movement. And I know there was a horrendous catalyst for the whole thing to happen, but What's your view on that? I, I, I have a bit of a problem with, um, you know, when we have Diversity Week or, you know, Rainbow Month or, you know, I, I really do have a bit of a problem because, again, going back to the fact that I'm talking to Robert Stevenson, you know, a coach from Animas, and that's that's it. And there's nothing else for me. We're talking and we're getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. And, and I know when it all happened back in May 2020, George Floyd the internet went mad. Everybody mm. were talking about Black Lives Matter. And then, you know, I follow football. And now I notice, for example, the likes of uh, Wilfred Zaha in, in Crystal Palace is decided he's no longer going to take the knee because he finds that it's become just another thing that you do just before. Mm. What, what's your view on all of that? Oh, wow. 
I, I guess there's a, there's a couple of thoughts here. So I, I'm, I'm really interested in this thing where an action becomes just a token and is no action anymore. So what's what's actually sitting behind that? What are, you know, what's the football association doing? That's a concrete action and not just a token. Because it's very easy to go. Yes, I agree. It's very easy to wear a badge. But what's the action that, that we're taking? What's the, the part that we're playing in the creation of the change? So I think there's something really interesting in not taking the knee because you're going, well, everybody's just taking the knee, but we're not, but nothing's changing. We're not doing anything. We're just kneeling. And it's like, okay, I do think there is something symbolic and unifying about it. Um, but I also recognize how easy it is to get lost in, in our, in, in the symbol without the work behind it. I do also think that I think you know black lives matter you know uh, you know people say but all lives matter and I go yeah all lives matter but not all all people feel or are being discriminated against or being or feeling fearful um within within a space you know it's a little bit like you know there was a a terrible um incident in in the UK where um, a, a woman was was abducted and murdered um, uh, on her way home one night, and and this whole thing of well, women don't feel safe walking at night, and it's like, well, that matters too, and that should be addressed as well. And it's like all of these things matter, and all of these things should be addressed and dealt with and thought about. And for me, I guess I'm I'm going, but this is the area that I can have an impact in. This is the space where I have a lived experience that I can talk about and share and therefore create uh, awareness around or noise around that where we can then look at it. Um, and, and, and you know, and I, I think there are some there's some some challenges around how we we have these conversations and 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 you know there's challenges around the language we use and people feeling okay to use language and not use language and what do we get pulled up on and you know one of my feelings around this is how to invite people to have a dialogue about this in a in a space that allows us to use faulty language and to to explore that without feeling guilt or shame or blame. Um, how do we get to the, the heart of where the challenge sits? So we're not just writing against the police because it's not just the police. It's it's beyond that. It's more than that. It, it's, you know, um, so how, how do we explore that as, as, as well? So I, I don't have an answer to it I, I guess my desire is to is conversation my desire is as a coach and a coach trainer to go where's the let's have the dialogue about this let's let's look at the issues here and let's explore this but I guess part of the challenge is not everybody's willing to come to the table to look at this and not everybody's beliefs are all lives matter not everybody's beliefs are women matter or race matters or class matters 
There are people that are holding on to their section going, no, we matter more. And I'm going to protect my belief in this. Um, so there, there also needs to be action, I guess, that, that, that causes people to pay attention to the conversation so they can be part of the conversation. Hey, so a question about coaching then, like you guys do a transformational coaching is one of the, the mm. models that you, you teach and uh, I'm sure you're working with clients on. Have you come across or, uh, you know, we're talking about beliefs and, you know, we all have our own beliefs and sometimes mm. they're, they're self-limiting. Sometimes it's just we believe in our values and we want to carry them on and, as a coach, if, if you're sitting across a client, those beliefs are not quite what you would like them to be, especially in this matter. How do you deal with that? You, you know, you have to let them transform themselves. Or <laughs> Well, this is really interesting because often new coaches uh, and coaches in training will share this, you know, well, what if my client's beliefs are, are wildly different to mine to the point where I find it offensive? And I go, but they won't be your client. They, they won't sit in front of you to have a conversation about their development, their change, their stuckness, because they are hiring uh, or connecting with you to create change. In it. And if they see something in you that is against them as a belief, then they're not going to invite themselves to you. So my experience, my, my clients may have views or ideas that I go, mm, I'm not sure about that, or I question that. And then I have to also question my assumption that my belief is right or good or useful um, in that. But, but the, I haven't had an experience where I've sat across from somebody and gone, you know, they, what they are thinking about here is so radically different to my thoughts as a human being that I can't sit in this space with them. Okay. Okay. Um, but I, but I, I do recognize that, you know, somebody might sit there and, and somebody may have a perception of who I am yeah. and sit with me and share something about themselves, feeling that I will agree with that. And I don't agree with it, but then I go, but what's my part in this? My part isn't to change them so they become how I think they should be. My part is to enable them to be who they want to be. My part is to enable them to find their meaning, their purpose, their achievement, their goals, their outcomes, not mine. And when I get caught in, are they like me or do they do things that I think is okay, then I, I'm no longer being the coach in that space because I have a judgment over them in that moment. And even if they are radically different from me, that's part of the conversation. That's part of the dialogue to go, oh, that's interesting. Let's explore this. And for my dialogue to explore my response, my reaction, my take on that, perhaps with my coach or with my supervisor, but not to have this idea that if somebody is different, it's going to create a problem or an issue. It might do, but it's also a space to explore. Yeah, great answer. Tell me how transformation has been coaching for you 
Oh, hugely. I mean, it's, it's, I, I can't, I don't think I can even put into words the shifts and the changes that have happened to me over the years, the acceptance, the, the strive, um, you know, with, with I, I would never have seen myself as a manager, a leader, a supporter of a team within a growing international organization. I would never have seen that. And without coaching, that would never have unfolded. So for me, it's, it's a huge part of, of, of me and, um, and what I've become. And I'm sure I would have gone on to do other great things, <laughs> but, but coaching has enabled me to do something and to be part of something that really sort of meets my need of enabling people to, to fulfill their potential. I mean, that was my whole theatre work was around working in theatre that was about, so how do we do this better? So how do you, how do you step up? How do you um, explore your own feelings, your own craft, your own skills? How do you embrace them and move them forward? That's, that was the work that I did. That's what it was about. Um, and, and coaching it is another avenue of that work. Um, and the, the sort of the, the role I find myself in now is I, it, you know, I have a voice or I have a, a place that allows me or affords me a, uh, a space to be heard so I can share my thinking um, uh, around that and be challenged around it. I mean, one of the things I love about this work is you're constantly challenged, you're constantly learning, you're constantly growing and evolving. Um. And, and, and you're constantly studying your craft and that, that, that craft of how do I enable others to explore themselves and what they want to, to be in, in this world. Do you miss theater? I mean, I, yes and no. So there are elements about theater that I sometimes miss, but I think I find that in my work. So I, what I loved was the creation in theatre. So, you know, when uh, me and Isaac and Steve used to work together, I loved when we would get together and go, right, what's this going to be? And I get that with my team where we go, right, what, what's this new course that we're going to create or this change within the organisation that we're going to do? And so we sit and we create, or when I'm working with with Sam Chambers, um, our content, content writer and, and my editor, you know, we sit and we have these great conversations about articles that we're going to produce. And, and so that creative, collaborative side is still met by me. Um, I, I, I guess that the bit of me that, that is, is less there now is that the person that's on the stage doing the thing. But then I go, is not the podcast just another stage? So am I still doing those things, but just in other spaces? And and theatre for me was always, not always, but theatre for me was a lot about um, bringing yourself to the work and bringing elements of yourself in into that. So I feel that I'm still doing that in, in what I'm doing now. So I kind of do and I kind of don't. Um, okay, so let me ask you what I, I ask also all my guests um, in terms of uh, a book 
that you would suggest? Now, it doesn't have to have anything to do with coaching. It could be Shakespeare. Mm. It could be anything at all. The, the one thing that if you go, I'm going to read a book tonight, it, that's the one. And why? Hmm, that's 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 really interesting. And and I guess there are a couple of books that jump to mind. Yeah. So um well and I guess this also sits with mood as well. <laughs> so when I think about um well, actually, I, I think one of the fundamental books for me that I, I read and didn't get and then I read years later and then saw a whole new version of that book and, and since then have, have loved it was Daring Greatly. So that's uh, Brenny Brown and just there is something... Um, no, it's not Brenny, is it? Is, is it Byron? Now I've got myself confused, so let me check that. But Daring Greatly is just one of those books that I just found intensely fascinating, especially around this idea of the armour that we we carry around to the point where we forget that we're, we're carrying those armours and that those false faces and where we're trying to to be somebody else or we're trying to 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 live a different life and not the life that's really inside us and I think that speaks to me both as a coach but just as a human being it's like how can you live your life how can you dare to live your life um so I think there's there's something really yeah Brenny Brown it is Brenny Brown and there's something really interesting for me about that and it's a book that I, I come back to and she also wrote um, a Daring or Dare to Lead and when I became more of a leader within the organisation I've, I've read that a few times and really enjoy this idea about you know that, that the vulnerability and the courage that we need to be leaders and not just leaders of others but leaders of ourselves and for me, I think that really fits with my philosophy of self. It's like, you know, we're leaders of ourselves and we can make choices around where do we want to go and what do we want to do? So how do we lean into that to make those choices? Um, so, yeah, so those, those are, I think, yeah, I think Daring Greatly is one of those books that's, but but the other one in there is is a prosperous coach, uh, Rich Litvin and uh, Steve Chandler. And I had I had the the pleasure, the honour to uh, interview um, Steve Chandler, and just you know, as part of my preparation for that interview, I reread the the prosperous coach and just found new layers in there and new ideas. Uh, about it, about what does it mean to be a coach and what does it mean to develop one's craft which I go well it doesn't matter whether you're a coach or a milkman or whatever it's like you know how do you develop and grow your craft and, and how do you take pleasure and um 
and pride in in the doing of that so that the craft can 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 flow and and change and not be stuck um when we take pride in something that we do we we also see it evolving um, and going beyond what it was I, and i think there's something really interested in in how you know some coaches or some some of us that learn coaching don't become coaches and have a coaching practice that skill evolves into something else there's another pathway that we find through honing those those skills and those qualities and i think it's one of the things i'm i find so amazing about coach training is that it's not just training you to be a coach it's training you in these skills that enable you to make choices about yourself and help others make those choices and you know there are people that learn coaching that go off and do very different things but they take those skills and that quality with them to do those things and um you know i i i find that endlessly uh, fascinating and rewarding that that we work in a space that is very clear in its definition or its uh, demarcation of what it does but those skills have such a resonance in so many areas it's a yeah it's absolutely it's a it's a beautiful way to to end our conversation robert because uh I think you, you, when you started, uh, you were saying there was still some uh, resistance from companies about coaching or you know, something that's done to you. But I think uh, uh, you wonderfully elaborated now. Uh, hopefully it gives people food for thought on what coaching is all about. And uh, really, really appreciate your time, Robert. And uh, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.